Thanksgiving is almost here, and you know what that means. You'll be chowing down on some delicious roasted turkey very soon. But did you ever stop to think why turkey is on the menu rather than horse, dog, or cat? Food taboos are complicated and vary greatly by geography. There are no cultural universals when it comes to what animals are and aren't on the menu. Today, we're uncovering food taboos around the world, how some unlucky critters ended up as diet staples, and what role religion plays in shaping our dinner plates. That's what you're digging into today on Impolite Society. You're listening to Impolite Society with Laura and Rachel. Oh, yes! The drums play us in! Is it the drums or is it maybe the growling of our empty stomachs as we look for a helpless little animal to murder and consume? Peanut might have something to say about that. Maybe the pounding is actually animal rights activists banging on our doors. Oh, well, they better hold on to their panties <laughs> because this is Impolite Society, the podcast that explores the psychology and sociology behind taboos. And we have a taboo topic today and something that our animal rights activist friends are probably not going to like. And just to really kick it off by getting into that I just have a personal anecdote I want to share about today's topic. I am all ears. I'm all ears. Okay, okay. Let me get into it. No judgment zone. This is the no judgment zone right here. You're safe here, Rachel. Yes. Um, It's a safe space. Thank you for uh, validating my trauma and (laughs) making sure that I am a real person. I am a millennial snowflake, and I am special. Tell me your story. I'm here for you. Okay, so we all know Thanksgiving is coming up. Turkey. Give me turkey. Yes. And a turkey is at the heart of the story that I'm going to tell. So I always host the get-together for my family, and it's a big event. I have my parents, my husband's parents, my extended family, his extended family in town, all that kind of stuff. And it's coming up, but I procrastinated just a smidge this year. We've got a lot going on, and I forgot, like, the main piece. Like, the key piece is the fucking turkey. Forgot it. <laughs> just totally spaced. But it's really hard because you want to time it with the defrosting and everything. Oh, God, it well, takes forever. I know, right, 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 which is why I put it off. But then you said I have time. Oh, no, 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 because I went out there, and I looked. There are no turkeys. Oh, shit. What is going on? Supply chain stuff? I don't know. But I literally went to seven grocery stores what and like the fuck i'm like not exaggerating no turkeys to be found and like i couldn't even get a ham there's no ham what is going on with the world so i'm coming home and i'm like after going to the eighth eighth grocery store <laughs> and ridiculous. i'm sitting at a red light and what's right next to me but like the city animal control <laughs> oh god and so i'm sitting there and i'm like what what am I doing? I make a quick right turn in, just bleep, 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 turn on the blinker, turn on in, and I go into the front desk, and I'm like, well, okay, so I'm looking for, like, you know, something in the, like, maybe, like, a cat in the 12 to 15 pound range, you know, based on my guest list. Do you have any kind of, like, plump, juicy kitty I could just take home with me today? I've got my cat on my lap. I'm covering his ears. Don't listen. 
listen, Pug. And let me tell you, I've never been thrown out of an establishment faster than when I went into that animal control. You're not fooling me. You didn't do that. You thought about it, though. Oh, maybe. But you're right. This story was a complete jest. But... This is crazy, right? It's wild to me because there are 1.5 million companion animals euthanized each year, which, bummer, right? Yeah, that is a bummer. We had a little fun and they were bringing it back down to the sad zone. (laughs) Sarah McLaughlin's going to start playing Mm, anytime now. She's waiting in the wings. These animals are going to waste. Can't we do something better with these animals' lives than just extinguish them and Throw them in a dumpster. Yeah. 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 Can't they feed my family this holiday season? Well, I feel like the core of that question is a taboo. It's almost like it's what we cover on this show. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. That look of horror you gave me as I told (laughs) that story literally says it all. We love eating meat in this country. Like, love, love eating meat. But at the same time, we also love animals. I love my kitty cat on my lap. This makes eating meat like a literal mental minefield. So we have to put some kind of boundaries on what animals we eat, how we eat them, and even which individual of a species are for eating. And there's all these rules and requirements, like you said, taboos around consuming animals. And that's my rude question today. Why can't I go get Thanksgiving dinner from the pound? Why are some animals okay to eat and others are not? I think that is a great question because as all of our listeners know, I love to eat. Uh, One of my monikers is the pork princess. Pork is delicious. It's wonderful. It's everything you want it to be. And I have often thought this. There is a lot of unspoken rules about what animals are okay and which ones aren't to eat. And I'm, I'm kind of an epicurious person. Is that the correct use of that word? I don't know. I've never heard it before. Uh, but I, I like novelty. I like novelty in everything in life, including food. And I get a lot of furrowed brows when I talk about some of the meat that I've eaten. I don't, uh, certainly none of them have gone into the companion animal categories, <laughs> but there have been other animals that I've eaten that could definitely get a weird look. It's like America has decided only these few are okay. Anything else outside of it is just, blah, blah. no, not only ugh, black, but like that's wrong. Yes. And we're going to dig into all of that. The fact that we don't just not eat certain meat, but there's morality to it. There's disgust. And this isn't just an American thing. Every culture on the planet has these food taboos. And that is what we're going to dig into. Like you said, we love eating animals, but we only eat a tiny fraction of animal species. So you talked about eating exotic meats. Most Americans only consume two types of mammals being pork and beef out of around 5,400 mammal species (laughs) and only two birds mainly, right? Chicken and turkey are the two. Out of a billion birds. There's so many Like literally 10,000. Okay, not a billion. (laughs) Give or take a few zeros. It's literally around (laughs) that. So when you add that together, we eat four out of about 16,000 species that rounds to zero. We eat zero species of animal. Oh, when you're like looking at like the percentages. Yeah. When we, <laughs> yeah, four out of 16,000, 
We eat zero animals. So congratulations. We're all vegetarians. <laughs> I know some people who eat even less than that because they're like, ew, pork. I don't eat pork. Or ew, turkey. I don't eat turkey. So yeah, that's bizarre. But I wanted to ask, do you think you can name the top 10 most consumed animals? Ooh, I do, think do, I can. Do, 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 do. I'm not, I'm, I love food. I think I'm going to be good at it. Oh, I have no doubt. Okay, so do you want to do this family feud style where you name, you throw out an animal and I'll reveal what level it is on the top 10? Yeah, I think we know what the top, like, couples are. So I'm just going to throw the easy peasy ones, the one you already mentioned first. So chicken, turkey, beef, pork. Ding, ding. So chicken is number one. Ooh. Pork is number two. Mm Mm-hmm. Beef is number three, mm-hmm. and turkey is number six. Oh, that's a surprise. Okay, so there's some in the in-between. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go with lamb. Ding, 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 number four. I'm going to go with goat. Number five. We're not including fish in this, right? No fish, no amphibians. Okay. Um, Here's a hint. Duck. There you go. Duck number seven. Quail? Mm. No, another kind of bird, a Christmas goose. Goose is number nine. Number eight is give me a home where they roam. Buffalo. I would have totally missed that one. Good thinking. Which I'm sure that's not just the American buffalo. There's a lot of cultures around the world that eat buffalo. Mm -hmm. And then number 10 is we like their feet because they're lucky. Rabbit. Rabbit is number 10. That is the top 10 most consumed animals as of 2019. Chicken, pork, cattle, sheep, goat, turkey, duck, buffalo, goose, and rabbit. So how many of those have you eaten? All of them. You've, you've eaten all of them? Mm-hmm. Let me, you haven't? Let me see. I don't know if I've had goat. Oh, I can take you to some lovely Indian restaurants to have goat. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to check it out. I might have tried rabbit at a French restaurant before. But outside of that, I think I have had every all the other critters that are on there. So we've all eaten a big chunk of the top 10, right? What is the most weird food that you've eaten? I've eaten antelope, um, rattlesnake, and like other kind of like exotic meats. Antelope was pretty unique and it was not very good. Um, Imagine it's gamey. <laughs> that is strange. What kind of antelope was it? Was it like a pronghorn or was it an African antelope? Where'd you eat it at? I don't know. It was at a restaurant. It was the restaurant was a very brief restaurant. It did not last long. It's because their food was not very good. I don't remember the name of uh, it, including the antelope. <laughs> yeah, the like antelope was said. not very good. Well, I would might say my weirdest thing I've weirdest meat I've consumed is probably along the same lines. Where I think the most exotic meat I've ever tasted has probably been venison, which is not very exotic to many people, <laughs> and certainly not in Missouri. <laughs> yes, definitely not. I'm not very adventurous in my eating. Um, I love to I eat feel the like... weirdest thing they have on the menu. Give it to me. If you've never oh, had yeah. it, give it to me on a silver platter. That's actually noteworthy that you said you'd like to do some exotic eating and try a lot of different foods because technically most everything is edible. Every animal that's out there, we can yeah, eat. of course. So why are we not chowing down on more of these critters? But there's actually a really good example of how some animals go from being edible to not edible and then back again. Like little Bilbo, they went there and back again. And the story that highlights a lot of this is actually the 
Number 11th most consumed animal. You want to take a guess on what that is? Horse. (laughs) Yeah, I knew it. It is horse. Horse comes in at number 11. And some of your reactions, listeners, might be the same as when I told my charming little anecdote at the top of the episode about picking up a juicy 14, 15 pound cat for Thanksgiving. (laughs) It, It feels wrong, right? You might be disgusted. You might feel a knot in your stomach about the idea of eating horse. But why is that? The French love horse. I know that. Yes, they sure do. And we will get exactly to that in a second. Although there's like a lot of feelings about eating animals versus not eating animals, and it feels very natural and obvious of what animals we should eat versus what we shouldn't, it's far from a given. There is no rhyme or reason to the animals we eat. This is true around the globe. It varies from continent to continent, culture to culture, and it varies across time. And horse is the poster child of animal meat taboos. The changing story of a horse taboo. (laughs) A horse taboo of a different color. (laughs) If you will. (laughs) If you will. And it has flippity flop, flop, flip, flip, flop so many times throughout history. And by so many, I mean twice. Because (laughs) of the animals that were domesticated, horse was one that was explicitly domesticated for it's meat because a horse was a fucking one-stop shop, man. It gave you transportation. It gave you delicious milk. And once it stopped doing those two things, it made a delicious <laughs> dinner. I never thought of the idea of horse milk, but I mean, every animal lactates, right? If it has a baby, they lactate. They say that horse milk is actually what made the Huns such powerful adversaries to the Chinese and horses in general because it gave them a lot of fat, gave them a lot of protein, and it was mobile. Well, yeah, in a time where nutrients were scarce, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's what made them so dang powerful and and threatening in that um, they had to have a a little, yeah, a little girl (laughs) and her dragon fight them. (laughs) Mulan. (laughs) Fa Mulan. Okay, so horses came on the scene. They were for eating. And that was until the year 732 when Pope Gregory III deemed that consumption of horse meat to be a pagan practice. He put out a papal decree across Europe that says, no more horse meat for you. And he put out a newsletter. Exactly. Good Christians, they ride horses. They love horses. They don't gnaw on their legs. Huh. And if if you want to make Jesus happy, stop snacking on ginger (laughs) that's interesting i wonder any idea like where that came from about it being a pagan practice no idea just probably he saw a pagan eat one he was like let's outlaw it like let those yeah those demon worshipers yeah or maybe he like you said maybe he just had a really close relationship with a horse named ginger or maybe he just didn't like the taste of it they're like greg (laughs) pg pg3 we need to get something associated with pagans so we can tell our people stop doing it so we can other those pagans what is your least favorite protein like if you're going to Qdoba what is the protein that you will never get on your burrito bowl and he was like "Mm, mm, horse is so stringy it's gamey and really tough I don't want to eat horse anymore and they said your wish is our command no one will eat horse (laughs) and they didn't for a really long time and it wasn't until the 18th and 19th century that horse got back on the menu and that that is a long gap yeah and that was simply because 
horse became a go-to during tough times. And Ah. when you see the population spike, there also horses were around a ton, right? They were carrying people, hauling things. So when things got rough, that's a nice dinner that you could just turn to whenever you needed to. And it became very prevalent during times of war, times of famine. And so that's why you see horse on the menu in France today still because that was something that came back during the tough times of World War II. Mm, that makes sense to me. And that line in a brother where art thou, I think the horse is turned. Oh gosh. <laughs> and even now in tough times in rural areas, people will also eat their horses. Meat is expensive. It is. It is. And I will say that while we do resort to eating horses in tough times, it's still not a common place. It's not a cultural norm in the Western world by any means. Mm-hmm. In the United States, it is actually illegal to process horse meat. Huh. Yes, yes. But horse is very much on the menu in various parts of the world, like Mexico, Belgium, Canada, Chile, Spain, Iceland, France, Russia, and the home of horse eating itself, Kazakhstan. That part of the world, you have to slaughter your best horse on your wedding night. So it's a given that they're eating horses. So needless to say, our animal taboos, are, are they vary widely. While we, you and I, Americans, we cherish and love dogs like family members. In certain Asian countries, their dinner. Yet, yeah. the reason varies too. Because in India, they would never think to eat a dog. But that's because dogs are filthy and disgusting to them. They would like retch and retch and dry heave at the very thought. It's like eating a rat. Yeah. Yeah. And likewise, reverse it, flip it and reverse it. Indians ban eating cows. It it is illegal to harm Mm -hmm. a cow. Meanwhile, in the United States of America, the average American eats 11 whole cows in their lifetime. We are slaughtering cows left and right. And if you're curious, that equals just over 20,000 pounds of beef consumed in, in a lifetime. And you even see that kind of varying degrees in us here, where you're more adventurous with eating. I'm a little bit more conservative. Do you have any qualms about eating different kind of animals? Or where do you draw the line on what animals you would eat? The lines I do draw are about nothing that I would ever see at a restaurant here in the States, for sure. Anything I would see at a restaurant here, yes, order it. I want it. (laughs) But, like, things that I wouldn't eat would be animals that science considers intelligent. So monkeys and dolphins are some of the most intelligent animals on on the planet Earth. And I'm like, okay, no, I don't want to eat them. That feels wrong. And companion animals. I don't really have a good reason for that, for not eating dogs and cats other than I love them and I think you're so cute. (laughs) What about you? It's tough because rationally I'm like, yeah, I could eat anything. I truly believe that if somebody brought me a plate of dog, that is no morally different than eating a cow. And yet I could not overcome it enough to eat a dog. Like the idea of eating a dog is pretty rough. And that is, it's such a weird, complex issue. And that is what we're going to dig into is what is the crux of these animal taboos? And we will get into that after this break. million years ago prehistoric man wandered the earth 
Is this the start of a, a new Broadway play I should be aware of? Yes. It's called, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? We're starving to death. What the hell are we going to eat? Because people in this time frame were experiencing a big crisis. The world was getting hotter and drier. And so while we used to really chow down on fruits, leaves, seeds, flowers, bark for some reason, and tubers. Yeah. We used to eat all these plants like we were living in perfect harmony with the earth. It sounds like a lot of things that are really high in cellulose, which are not digestible for the human being. But they had massive healthy dumps. (laughs) They were so regular. We did live that way. We were one with the planet, part of Mother Gaia. Kumbaya. Uh Until we got the boot from the proverbial Garden of Eden and had to nut up and throw (laughs) ourselves into the gladiator arena known as the food chain. I'm here for it. (laughs) Give me that meat. Yeah. So as the climate shifted evolutionary pressure really forced early humans to find a new source of energy a tasty juicy succulent source of energy aka anything they can get their fucking paws on (laughs) and it was not just tasty it was incredibly important to fueling our big ass brains that we have we needed the calories we needed the fat and we needed just all of it to really fuel these noggins that consume to this day, drive 20% of our energy needs. Hmm. You really do need brain food then when you're studying. Truly. It was not the cherry sour candies that I ate every all-nighter I ever pulled. <laughs> it's been a while since we developed this taste for meat. Something you might have noticed as well as we listed the top 10 most top 11 most consumed animals and also makes up the majority of our own diets and and most other people's the majority of the animals that we eat are domesticated so how did we get these animals that we domesticated to eat and why so few of them like that's what i think is interesting like you mentioned these thousands of species why only a select few were chosen or unluckily assigned (laughs) (laughs) they they understood the assignment it seems simple right that we domesticated the animals that we like to eat the tastiest animals became the ones we chose to have living with us but i'll just go ahead and say that is not the case that is not what happened at all one theory around domestication and animals is that we chose the animals that fascinated us And that we thought were beautiful, that we thought were closer to spirits and gods. Because animals in early human societies, they were for sacrificing. As we talked about in the ghost episode, animals had spirits. They were closer to the the gods. And so we domesticated the animals that we thought exemplified that or that had that. And one of the key examples of that is chickens. Hmm. Because a forest fowl, right? that's running around the jungle it doesn't have a lot of meat they're lean they're scrappy they run around you would exert a lot of energy trying to catch one i mean because chicken really isn't that tasty let's be honest i think it's good i had chicken for for dinner i mean i eat a lot but i don't really like it they would look nothing like the fatty plump chickens we eat today with the giant titties on the front. Oh, my God. It's really <laughs> depressing. It really is. <laughs> they were beautiful animals that people captured and kept because they used them in religious ceremonies. And they used them in sport. Yeah, cockfighting. Oh. <laughs> ah. Yeah, you know, it wasn't that much better of a fate, to be yeah. But as they got better at the husbandry of keeping these wild fowl, 
there was a lot more of them. (laughs) And suddenly, that proximity and ease of access, that turned these animals from sacred to scrumptious. And is that not just the most fucking human thing you've ever heard? Taking something that was holy, that was beautiful, and then we're like, "Eh, let's fucking eat it. (laughs) I mean, it's the highest form of flattery. Eating is Is the highest form of flattery. (laughs) I think my beaver would agree with you there. Oh! I was about to throw out cannibalism that episode, but that's a different kind of cannibalism that we can all get behind. I should have said my hairy critter there, but beaver was a little bit on the nose. It's okay. We're not improvist. This isn't a comedy podcast. (laughs) That goes to say that we didn't domesticate animals simply for their tastiness. They did something else for us that we liked. And then when you also add another practical piece of seasoning into this is that not every animal is able to be domesticated. They need to fit six criteria. Mm including that they they eat a lot of different kinds of foods, they mature rapidly, they will breed in captivity, they're docile, they have strong nerves, and a nature that conforms to social hierarchy so we can insert ourselves at the top of that social hierarchy. Mm, So even if you are super tasty, if we can't domesticate you, you're probably not going to end up high on the shopping list of the average Joe. Because if you're too headstrong or you're really picky about your diet, you're too much trouble and we're like, fuck you, I'm going to go eat this chicken. Yeah, I'm not going to put in the energy because why would you go and expend a day or two days worth of energy hunting down a mammoth? You might die. You might lose the best hunters in your tribe. Why do that when you could just reach down and literally grab up one of the 54 chickens you have running around your yurt? And wring its neck. Real simple. You don't, have to, you don't have to get a cleaver out. You just shake it and it's dead. <laughs> yeah, and, and dinner's on the table. So it turns out we eat domesticated animals not because we pick them to eat, but because they were the animals that were around. It's truly a love the one you're with kind of situation. <laughs> love the one you're with. If time and energy expenditure weren't limits enough on what animals we can shove in our face and what we can't. Our good friend Organized Religion also came in to throw even more arbitrary limitations on what's acceptable to eat and what's not. What's crazy is how these ideas are still so relevant today that they're still such a part of our day-to-day life. So let's take a look at what some of the world's most common religions have to say about food and what we should avoid. Oh, I'm in for it. All right, we're going to go in chronological order, as in like Mm -hmm. the first two are chronological and I have no idea when the other last two happened. (laughs) So we're going to start with the Old Testament. So we're looking at Judeo-Christianism, Christianism, that's a word. We're looking at the Jews and the Christians, because let's be honest, the Old Testament is essentially the Torah, right? Yeah, yeah. As someone who is not a religious scholar, I'm going to say that blanketly i think there's some more to the torah but i think you're basically right yeah the christians they kept the good parts anyway so we're looking at leviticus and you might be good old leviticus mm, mm -hmm. you might be familiar with this gem of advice it says any land animal who has cloven hooves and chews its cud may be eaten from the water anything that has fins and scales may be consumed and if it does not meet that criteria no dice what, but they don't they don't eat pork, right? But aren't pork have cloven feet? But it doesn't chew the cud. Oh, an herbivore. Got it. 
like camels chew cud, but they don't have the cloven feet, so mm. no dice. Badger, I don't know why that was on this list, but apparently <laughs> no dice. Hare, can't eat rabbit, no dice. No cloven feet. I wouldn't even touch that. And of course, the bane of every sensitive Jewish tummy around the world, <laughs> shellfish. Uh. No shellfish. I mean, it's not bad advice. There's a lot of bad sickness you can get from bad shellfish, especially in the Midwest when it's being shipped over here. Yes. <laughs> there ain't no ocean anywhere around here. Yeah, the shellfish are making their own kind of like pilgrim journey across the continent <laughs> in a covered shellfish wagon. They're just like, oh, oh. they got to make to the pass before winter. It's rough. It's rough out there for a shellfish trying to do manifest destiny. <laughs> <laughs> but those two are not the only religions that weigh in on what you can and can't eat. Islam gets in the game, too, with the concept of haram. And this includes many of the same animals that the Jews and the Christians are like, no, 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 don't touch that. But they up the ante by taking a firm stance on avoiding eating anything with fangs. No carnivores can go into your tummy. Huh, I didn't know this. Yeah, anything with fangs is a no-go, and also, for some reason, donkeys. Are there any animals that are carnivores that we eat? They're just, like, hard to domesticate, so there's not, like, a ton of them. The Muslims, they don't want to eat blood. Like, they don't like eating blood. Yeah, I know that's a thing, like, killing in a very specific way, you drain the blood out. Yeah, so I imagine that there's some kind of, like, secondhand blood. Secondhand blood. <laughs> Situation, yeah. So I'm not going to be out there eating a chupacabra because it's like literally <laughs> just drinking blood. I guess it could technically eat a human. In like those earlier times, it could eat a human and then you're eating it. Yeah, that's an ick factor. Okay. I, yeah, that makes sense. But I will say those, those Muslims, there are nothing if not rational <laughs> because they also have a built-in safety hatch in this religion that says, don't eat these things when you have options. But if you're starving, it's like the snacks in the office break group at 3 p.m. It's all fair game. <laughs> well, I think that's a nice loophole to provide to people. <laughs> well, and you know that they're not going to take it too lightly because, as we know, the Muslims, they jam on fasting. So if they do that, you know, once a year for fun, they're probably really going to take the starving thing literally before they start chowing down on the coyote. True. They're used to being without foods. They're prepared. They're preparing for it. And then I'm going to lump in major Eastern religions together because they have very similar ideas, but they don't like eating food in general. <laughs> Buddhists say, fuck all these complicated rules, no eating meat. And Hindu, they think cows are sacred, and so you best believe they are not going to be having a Big Mac anytime soon. But they do love dairy products, and they typically avoid meat outside of like chicken, fish, lamb. I think some eat that. Well, I know when I go to a Indian restaurant, there is never any beef on the menu. And my husband's always like, wah, wah. And I'm like, yeah, you're never going to find it, babe. You're going to have to learn to live with the chicken or lamb. <laughs> this is an interesting concept because how do you think religion coming in and making these rules, how does that change the game of animal meat taboos? I think it's hard to say because we think of back to Pope Gregory at the beginning who say no horse meat. Then you think of these ancient texts that we really don't know where they've come from. They just know that they've stood the test of time. Did they pick up what was already happening around them or did they decree something the way that Pope Gregory just put a line in the sand and said no horse? But it definitely 
obviously changed the trajectory of human palates throughout the world. It definitely did. And I think you're gonna you're getting into things that we're definitely gonna dig into of where these taboos come from and why that they hold so strong. But to me, having the religions come in and make these rules, because in theory, it might be easier to eat a chicken. But if you're like, I really want to snack on a lion and I'm going to risk my life to try to taste some of that sweet, sweet lion meat. Why not try it out? What's to stop you? Religion coming in and making these statements, it drew a line in the sand around morality and it put morality to the meat we consume, which I think is just very fascinating because as we talk about, sure, there's uck factors, but is one meat inherently more ethical to eat than another kind of meat? Totally. And that makes me think of is that the, the quote morality around food, how we label food as good or bad and all these really deep seated issues that we all have with food and how we talk about it as being good or bad, being ethical or non-ethical. There's nothing inherently wrong with anything. Why do we assign it these lofty ideals you know apparently this is something we've been grappling with for millennia yeah even before a Reese's peanut butter cup hit the scene we were calling foods good and bad that's bizarre to me this just took it another level when you were talking about that I'm like wow it's really something that's all throughout human history we've been grappling with the quote, morality of food. And right now it might be because something is high is in sugar, fat, salt, carbs. But then it was the origin of said meat. There is some research that goes into why some meats are taboo and some are okay to eat. So let's take a look at what that research has to say. So our first natural instinct is to look at the animal, right? To look at the animal and think, why is this animal okay to eat? Why is it not? And is it cute? That's like my number one thing. That is one of the reasons people throw out. Is it cute? Is cuteness one of the reasons we eat or don't eat an animal? I don't know. Have you seen a cow? I know. Have you seen those cows with those big doe eyes and long lashes and they look at you? Or a little piglet? Little piglets are cute as fuck. Piglets are cute. Adult pigs are not so cute. So I, I see that like easy to slaughter an adult pig. And also depends on the cow. Dairy cows, fucking adorable. But like a bull, like a big bull cow, not cute. But honestly, there's not like a lot of rhyme or reason. I try not to think about it, honestly. (laughs) That's the best way to maintain your sanity when consuming meat. But really, there are some animals that play more into cuteness. And what makes an animal cute is that they have big eyes, that the eyes are separated, they have a big forehead. They essentially resemble a human baby. That's what I was going to say. It looked like a baby. <laughs> Which we are programmed to not want to eat our babies. Thank God. <laughs> so I could see where that's like a defense mechanism mm-hmm. when with a lot of companion animals. But that's not true across the board because a lot of people think dogs are cute. But people still eat people dogs. Eat them. Another idea is we don't like to eat intelligent animals, mm, right? You, yeah. you threw that out earlier. You don't want to eat monkeys. You don't want to eat dolphins. I would rather die than eat an elephant because I think elephants are the purest life form on this planet but at the same time we eat intelligent animals to this day we're in the royal court of the pork princess i know pigs are really smart (laughs) a pig has the same intelligence as a three-year-old human woof 
And when I learned that, I have like learned that two days ago. <laughs> I have not eaten pig <laughs> since then. Like I almost ordered some uh, pork bone ramen yeah. and I was like, you're eating a three-year-old. Like you're eating a toddler. <laughs> so whenever somebody tries to feed me pig, I'm going to imagine a little baby, like a, a, a three-year-old. And I'm going to say, no, no more pig on the podcast. I am done with Okay, pork. that's a good for you. But I've always said that toddlers are like dogs. Like the maximum amount of dog intelligence is a human toddler. It's not like it's unprecedented in the animal kingdom. I feel like a dolphin is like an eighth grader or something. <laughs> <laughs> they do do a lot of sexual assault, so that holds water. <laughs> it's a hard thing to reckon, man. In an ideal world, I would love to go vegetarian, but... I'm just, I'm a slave to my vices. We're all animals too at the end of the day. We are animals just as much as they are animals. But intelligence is not really a clear-cut answer either because pigs are smart. I'll even say I had chickens growing up. Chickens have individual personalities. Like they're not. Of course they do. Cutter. I mean, they're hu- they're an organism. They're human. No, <laughs> they're an organism, and every animal has a personality. Like you see it with your pets. You see it on like freaking Animal Planet. If you look at these things about like lions and monkeys, each one has their own unique personality, which is fascinating in and of itself. But I mean, they're all living creatures, right? intelligence doesn't seem to be where we draw the line cuteness doesn't okay on the flip side is it maybe grossness is disgust the reason why we don't eat certain animals okay which i'll say again this isn't the case because disgust is subjective what do you mean by disgust like that animal's icky i don't want to eat it so like the rat or the dog or the dog snakes bugs Ugh, bugs That is one food taboo I have a hard time getting through. If we were rational about our approach to cultivating meat and cultivating protein, crickets would be the number one protein consumed. Super cheap to keep, super easy to kill, super easy to process. June bugs. Oh my God. They are just running into my window all summer. I should be scooping that shit up and throwing it in my curry pot, but I'm not... There are cultures that do eat bugs. And so this idea of disgust, it's fascinating. It's relative, but it's fascinating. So these three things, intelligence, cuteness, disgustingness, just like communism, these are all a red herring. (laughs) Throwback to the last episode. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Come on, people. It was never about the animals. It's about us. Like always. Me, 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 me. (laughs) To really understand this taboo, we, like an emotionally shut down father who decides to be better for his family, we have to look inward (laughs) into what is causing this. And we're going to dig into that and answer this rude question right after this break. I'm here. Let's go. All right. So number one, could restricting meat be a way of keeping us alive and healthy? And this is something we've tossed out earlier. You said shellfish specifically. Mm -hmm. And that is looking at the individual. But there's some thoughts that say that there's more 
indirect benefits. Maybe by making a keystone species taboo, we're not going to topple the entire ecosystem. So that's saying we're not going to eat an animal because it's too important. So if we decide that we're not going to eat this animal that props up the entire food chain, if we did eat it and we hunted it and it went extinct, all of a sudden everything else around us collapses. So we can't eat the lion because the lion eats the antelopes. The antelopes get too highly populated. They eat all the vegetation and then we don't have any vegetation to eat. Okay, that makes sense to me. Or vice versa. We eat all the antelopes. The lions are hungry. All of a sudden we're on the the menu. The lions eat us. (laughs) Yeah, so they're saying that there's some rules there for the bigger picture for the food chain you got to keep the food chain in balance unfortunately this doesn't hold much water because we wouldn't eat crickets or we wouldn't eat snails and (laughs) they might be propping up the system in their own way but how about let's eat all the mosquitoes in the world and see what happens (laughs) um a mosquito taquito yum 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 (laughs) hey you put enough cumin on anything i'll eat it (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that is totally fair so that one isn't really one that holds water. And then we look at Meyer Rokow, which is the author of an article called Food Taboos, Their Origin and Purposes. Uh, I read the shit out of this article. Oh, <laughs> it's long and it's very <laughs> academic. And I read a lot of articles that summated what this person had to say. <laughs> yes. This author claims that taboos are often meant to protect the human individual and Hence, this taboo probably does the same. So this isn't looking at the grand picture, the ecosystem, the food chain. This is looking at you and me as individuals trying to keep us safe. This can manifest itself as an entire community. So prohibiting an allergen-containing food. If my village, we have a propensity. Is that the right use of that word? Yeah, I think so. We have a propensity for having a shellfish allergy. Suddenly, it becomes in the best interest of my society to say, oh, shellfish, no good. That makes sense to me. And then you put it down in a book. It's part of God's law. Bing, bang, boom. The rest of Judaism for the rest of the world has never had a shellfish. (laughs) And it's not even as complex as trying to put this grand meeting behind it. Like, we're trying to keep you safe. What happened was they saw brother Jacob over there ate a shellfish turned red and choked and fell on the earth and they're like the demons <laughs> they're just like mm, God did not like yeah. that you brought that on yourself yeah. you should have known that you could not eat that shellfish Jacob and goodbye yeah. you're a grain of salt <laughs> pillar Bye. of salt what's a pillar what's a pillar of salt you don't I mean come on Sodom and Gomorrah lots well, I know I know I thought you turned into a grain of salt I don't no, know what a, a pillar. pillar. What's that mean? What's a She pi- became like a statue of a salt of salt. She became statue of salt? Yeah. It's it she doesn't become a grain of salt. She becomes oh, a pillar oh. of salt. I always misunderstood that Bible story. My PSR days, we spent way too much time talking about the prodigal son and not enough time understanding what a fucking pillar of salt meant (laughs) the freaking prodigal son which is the worst story for any rule follower in the world it's the one it kicks you in the teeth man and we literally did it every year it was like the one story i remember from psr but that is neither here nor there okay okay because not only is food allergies a way that made a food taboo, but societies also restrict consumption of historically prominent carriers of foodborne illness. Mm, that makes sense. We get to our favorite delicious delectable. Pig. 
with the intelligence of a three-year-old child. Um, So pig is often viewed as a dirty food throughout history, throughout those religions, because they are carriers of different diseases. Well, and they roll around in their shit and stuff. You look at them and you're like, "Mm, maybe not such a great idea. You slaughter them, you get some E. coli in that slaughtering meat, and then everyone gets sick. And then you're like, no, 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 shouldn't eat that. All it takes is one village to get wiped yeah. out. I always have thought things that you find in ancient texts, they didn't pull them out of their ass. They come from somewhere. I've always felt that. Maybe it's not like a universal truth for the rest of forever, but it came from somewhere. No doubt. Because we, if nothing else, are really good at seeing cause and effect. So all it takes is one or two of these examples. And all of a sudden it's like, ping in your brain it's like nope mm, off the menu (laughs) even today if you saw somebody eat something and then die you wouldn't be like well maybe it was just their time or maybe they had a heart attack (laughs) and then eat the same food we even are sympathetic vomiters for that exact reason if we see somebody else Mm. vomit we vomit because the assumption is that we have also consumed what they consumed so then we're like evacuate evacuate (laughs) yeah that makes sense So getting down to it, there's a lot of physical guidance around what food we can and can't eat, but there's also social implications. And this is what really fascinated me about the research is that eating is so important to our day-to-day life and our culture and eating alike makes somebody trust you. So if you eat the same stuff I eat, I'm going to trust you. And it's more effective at earning trust than somebody dressing like you. I totally believe this (laughs) because if I'm at a restaurant with somebody and they order like chicken fingers and fries, I'm like, I have nothing to say to you. (laughs) If I'm at like a corporate dinner and somebody's like a super picky eater, I'm like, yeah, we have nothing in common. And that fact that I threw out, it comes from an actual published article that Food consumption promotes trust and cooperation more than looking like someone, dressing like someone, all these kind of things. I mean, like, shit, that was like one of the top bonding things between you and I. We're like, oh, my God, do you have food issues? Oh, my God, I have food issues. I love eating. This is great. This is great. Let's start a podcast. Two peas in a pod. And yet our podcast doesn't talk about food enough. I clearly because this episode is amazing. Go ahead. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) And I was going to say, if you need a real world example outside of Laura and I bonding over food and Laura and I not bonding with certain coworkers because they eat chicken strips, which is just fucking (laughs) embarrassing if you order that at a corporate dinner. Look no further than one of America's most deeply ingrained prejudiced. And we have quite a few, (laughs) you know, America, (laughs) we're not perfect. But one of the things that we run thick with is our distrust for East Asian culture. And what is kind of the go-to slur, derogatory insult, question, stereotype about folks from Asian countries? Where does the Chinese food restaurant get its meat from? Dog. Exactly. So this idea that Asian folks are eating dog, eating cats. Koreans. It's Koreans that do it. Well, it actually goes back even farther because this idea permeated our culture in the Philippine-American War, which, if you want a time frame, ended in 1902. So over 100 years 
Oh, I believe it. Yeah, it still managed to make its way in, man. It has really permeated our culture, and it's still used in schoolyards around the world to make our Asian American peers feel othered and shitty. Which is so funny because, like, so many of my happy family memories in childhood is us gathered around a table of Chinese food. But I absolutely heard that insult growing up. It's just so bizarre the way that we include yet exclude based on this kind of arbitrary thing we just decided 100 years ago. We don't even know where it comes from anymore, but we repeat it like fucking parrots. It's truly a part of our culture. And very few Asian cultures eat dog. There is some that do. And I would say 100% of Asian Americans aren't eating dog regularly. They might be creating recipes that replicate the kind of feel of dog stew or some kind of dog meats, but they're not eating dogs. And yet we can't let it go. So this is my call to you, the Americans, to say, let this stereotype go. Go. And don't ask the little Asian kid that you know if they're eating dog or if their family serves dog. Yeah, that's super shitty. But here's a fun story about racism in our hometown. Oh, yay. This is great. This is like really tickled me and it's horrible, but it did because I love St. Louis and I love St. Louis when it was relevant. And in the year 1902, (laughs) St. Louis was relevant. And most importantly, in the year 1904, we had this little thing called the World's Fair and it had a lot of popular attractions including one of the most well-known human rights atrocities called the human zoo and it featured Mm. people from different cultures that all us white people could go and observe and look at and year at one of the feature exhibits at the human zoo was folks from the philippines because we had just finished the war we had just gone in there and colonized god bless the usa no, <laughs> but they they brought these people back and they put them in a zoo and one of the kind of like headliners was that this group of people would slaughter and eat a dog every day oh jesus fucking christ yes and people ate that shit up until they had to shut it down because oh this is my favorite thing It's bad, but they had to stop it because there was rumors and like little newspaper articles published that these tribe was going out at night and stealing people's family pets from their yard. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's hilarious in the sense of like, come on, guys. But it's really sad in the fact that this prejudice really impacted people's lives (laughs) for long after. That's a pretty dramatic thing to see so imagine if your grandpa saw that in 1902 or 1904 like that's a story that goes down the generations of your family i'm sure it has luckily none of my relatives were rich enough to go to the world's fair same (laughs) but that's just one of those little factoids where it's like i'm reading all these scientific journals and articles and they're like st louis and i'm like Yes. And then they start telling the story and I'm like, no, no. (laughs) It's truly horrific what happened at that time, but it's also kind of funny. The fact that we freaked out that much. Anyways, the people are the real victims and then the dogs and then like at the very bottom, the St. Louis people. (laughs) I mean, some families did lose their pets. I don't think it was Filipinos coming to take them in the night. I think they ran away, but you know still sucks well it's a complicated place 
It is. It is. It's all just suffering, like and, the Buddhists say. And to add to that complication, we have all these arbitrary rules about what animals to eat and what animals to not eat. And this comes down to, like the special snowflakes we all are, this comes <laughs> down to our feelings. Mm-hmm. Because the world is complicated and meat is especially a tricky concept to wrap our heads around because most of us would hate to see an animal suffer. I think most of the people who are eating a hamburger would not like to see how that hamburger came to be. No. But we'll happily chow down on meat. So this is something that psychologists have actually termed a phrase for. It's called the meat paradox or the moral conundrum we face when consuming animal meat. And I like to just toss out there, this is also the result of us being super social animals because we are able to build bonds with interspecies critters and also empathize with these other animals. This is what separates us from the lion is that we can actually empathize with other animals. I don't think a lion empathizes with the gazelle. True. It just does what it does. Hell nah. They're like, slash, eat, nom. Yeah, yeah, they're relying on their instinct to drive them, but we have that higher cognitive function. So all of that coming together, it makes it complicated. So these extra rules that we throw in, these extra requirements and structure, is what lets us distance ourselves from the animals we're eating. And this meat paradox shows up in the language we use too, right? We don't eat cow. We don't eat pig. We eat beef, pork. Yes. Yeah, we take a level away from the animals themselves by naming it something different. Exactly. And this kind of structure helps. Except for chicken. Well, chicken, we're just like, fuck chickens. <laughs> Give me that nugget. But this structure like helps us distance ourselves for it, helps us categorize what we can and can't eat, and it almost helps us feel like the animals we eat deserve it. Which is a crazy thing to say. How so? Here's an example. So Western culture is spreading, right? Thanks to good old social media and good old the media in general. So it's permeating other cultures and getting in there. In those Asian areas that dog is still eaten, these folks will butcher and consume a dog. But they also see dogs as pets. They'll watch a cute dog video and then they'll eat a dog. Some of them will even have dogs as pets and eat dogs. And these dogs, there's a line between what's a dog for loving and keeping and caring for and what's a dog that's for eating. And they have these two types. They have different names and they have different significances in their culture. So we as humans are able to draw that differentiating line. And it's no different here in the U.S. because some people have pigs for pets and yet we still eat pigs. I'm in that statistic as well because I had chickens growing up and I liked our chickens. Like I cried when they died of old age, which happened a few times because we're very, <laughs> we're animal lovers. We took care of our chickens. <laughs> we had a few that died of old age. I had those chickens, but I still eat chicken because I drew a line in the sand where we had one batch of meat birds we got on accident and all they did was lay with their head in the food bowl. And so to me, I can eat those meat birds because they deserve it, essentially. They were bred to do it. They acted different than the others. They did. They didn't do shit. Oh, God, that's really depressing. Well, it is. I have that still kind of cognitive... Dissonance, yeah. Dissociation, yeah, that lets me eat something that I also cared about, the same species. 
It's just, this is the paradox at work. We don't have a good answer for that. That is just, it's pure hypocrisy, right? It's just the way that we have conditioned ourselves to just try to not think about it. And I think that that's what comes down to why some meat is taboo and some isn't. So back to the rude question at hand. Why are some animals okay to eat and others are just off limits? I think it really comes down to everything we talked about. It's like a little bit of it all. It's like everything around here. It's complicated. I know. It's complicated. (laughs) But that's why we do these podcasts. If it was an easy answer, they would not be an hour-long podcast. We would knock it out in five minutes. Because it's everything we talked about today. It's ease of access. Domesticated animals became okay to eat because they were also easy to get to. It's using our eating practices to connect us. So really that in-group versus out-group kind of... Whatever they eat is what I eat, so we're all buds. Well, yeah, and that's really what came down to that dog anecdote or that dog example about Asian culture versus ours. It wasn't just that like, oh, that's weird that they do that. We were at war with them. So this rumor or this stereotype came to say, you are less than, you are morally wrong because you are eating something different than we are. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to protect us, whether that's through not toppling our ecosystem, or (laughs) if it's something bigger. Like we talked about horse being illegal to process in the U.S. Uh That's not because horses are some high and mighty animal. It's because horses, the medications that we give them are not regulated for consumption. Like ivermectin? <laughs> Bringing it around, making it topical. But the truth is, these horses are all given different medicines throughout their lives that aren't approved for us to eat after. Mm-hmm. So it's not some moral reason that we don't process horses in the US. We just let Mexico and Canada handle it. But <laughs> it's, it's because they're trying to protect us as individuals. Uh-huh. And so I think a good example of how these pieces coming in to play and mingle and get familiar with each other. Get personal. Actually, my favorite religion, Judaism. Judaism. Oh, I love the Jews, too. <laughs> this is it's fantastic. But they really, their culture has such a concrete example of how these all come to play together in the kosher diet, right? So it displays how each of these pieces fits together because it's about protecting their tribe because it's restricting food and how to prepare food the shellfish the pork all of these things are off the table but not only are they keeping them healthy but they're really creating a very strict day-to-day which in turn helps propagate the population because it's really hard to marry someone and cohabitate with someone who does not eat the same food you eat, who does not practice the same food rituals, the same food preparation that you do. So it not only keeps you safe in the fact that you're not going to eat that rancid shellfish, but you're also going to marry within because you need somebody who eats off the same dishes that you do. If somebody doesn't practice that the same way you do, it's going to be a whole lot easier to have somebody who aligns with that. So not only Mm -hmm. is it creating a firm line of like, oh, you're not eating kosher, you're not like me, but it's also really hard to live your life with somebody who does that, the life that you are taught to live. Yeah. So it just hits 
all of these out of the park because it's just a perfect example of why food taboos keep us healthy, keep us in our society, in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it ties into that ease of access as well. Drop the mic. I don't have anything to say here other than thumbs up. Laura agrees. Sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't agree. This is an agreeing episode. And that's what it comes down to because we humans love to categorize. So by having these clear categories of what animals are okay to slaughter for food and which ones aren't, it relieves that tiny portion of that mental discomfort that comes from eating animals. And so it not only keeps us healthy, keeps us in our in-groups, but it also makes us feel a little better about what we're doing feel superior and feel like we're the in crowd we've got it right and you've got it wrong which makes sense why i feel so high lofty and mighty when somebody just orders chicken fingers i'm like ha you fool you have no idea (laughs) do you also want to make macaroni art and braid each other's hair because you've never left the fourth grade (laughs) precisely (laughs) food man it's so deeply ingrained it's just like sex and food are just like our basic instincts and we find ways to draw lines around them yes yeah and it's very fascinating and i think that do you feel that this is an okay spot to leave it are we in consensus Absolutely. It's the answer is complicated. It's like you said, all of the reasons that you described ease of access, using our eating practices to make in groups and out groups and limiting food to protect us from disease as well as protect us from quote unquote outsiders. That is the long and short of it. And in order to to understand that, we had to unpack all of that deep history of of food and proto humans and everything that came down the line and including what we see today as okay and not okay to eat so be sure to bring this all up over thanksgiving dinner when your uncle asks for a second helping of turkey just be like why why do you think that we're eating turkey today and we're not eating i don't know raccoon or labrador or labrador yeah throw that out there the next time somebody tries to bring up politics at your family thanksgiving (laughs) Just divert it. Yeah, just yeah, divert just the throw whole conversation. Out that everybody has been eating cat. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, did you know what you're eating tonight? Yeah, every time anyone tries to talk about COVID <laughs> or vaccine vaccines, mandates or, or horse dewormer or horse dewormers, just start talking about like, did you know? Wasn't that food delicious? Could you ever guess that the turkey came from our local animal shelter? And just watch everything spin on its head. Oh, yeah. It's funny that you bring up horse dewormer because we all ate it today in in dinner (laughs) because I, I roasted a horse leg for us. That's, you know, I think that's holiday goals for everyone. Yeah, really. Holiday goals. So that's where I'm going to leave it. So I'm going to ask you a question. So after doing all of this research... Do you feel differently about some of the meats that you thought were taboo that you might think a little bit differently about them? Definitely. I talked about it at the get-go of the episode because I did the research. I had already kind of reached my enlightenment where there's (laughs) no meat that is more or less moral to eat because it's all about taking a life. And we humans, perception is reality. 
So you can literally eat whatever you want, but the the world around us is created by our peers. So you might be okay eating a cat, but if somebody finds out, they're probably not going to think of you the same way. And you might <laughs> face some social distress based on that. Just like if my story at the top, imagine the horror. I mean, we were joking about it. The horror that would have happened if my family and friends, if I had lifted the, the, the top of the serving platter and there was just a cat on there, like a roasted cat. <laughs> I mean, you can eat it if you want, but you might lose some friends over it. Or some family over it, for sure. Definitely. Well, that's a good place to land on. And I think we have talked about this topic as much as you and I can. But there are a ton of great resources, including a book that will be linked in the show notes that I did not read, but I listened to the author talk about on several other podcasts (laughs) (laughs) and a few other resources, including that article, food taboos, their origins and purposes. That's it for us guys on this episode. So remember to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. You can always share your own rude question with us at rude at impolitesociety.com. And, of course, you could give the gift of knowledge this holiday season by sharing in polite society with a cherished friend or bitter enemy who you want to see squirm over their Thanksgiving dinner. Because indie podcasts, how we grow is by word of mouth. So let a friend know. Send them our way to listen to us talk at you. Are those the drums? Woo! They're back. All right, everyone. Stay curious, our fellow deviants. Guys, keep marching to the beat of your own drum. It only took like two years for us to actually reveal the meaning behind our theme music. (laughs) Keep on marching to your own drum and fuck them taboo. Yeah, we're marching over here. We're doing high knees. Our abs are getting very taut. Speak for yourself. No, it's not. It's not. But I'm saying if we did high knees. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening.